PFL is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Tennessee, of course, headed to a bowl game for the first time since 2016, and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you want to be there to see it. Well, if you're going to do that, game time is the best place to make that happen. Of course, if you're going to be around Knoxville too, Christmas events, concerts, music and theater, all that stuff, game time has that too. The app is simple, quick, easy to navigate, and easy two-tap checkout. Download the game time app in the Google Play or the App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Hello again and welcome to a uh, very special episode of PFL. We're doing the uh, best of the 2010s uh, across our site uh, this week, and that includes our college football coverage and Tennessee football. Uh, I've only been here, what, a year and a half, two years, uh, so I wanted to consult someone who has been here a little longer and knows a little bit more about the the history and was here for the last decade of Tennessee football, uh, WNML's Jimmy Himes. Jimmy, Welcome to the show. Appreciate you joining us and, and talking about the last 10 years of, of Tennessee football. <laughs> a lot's happened, to say the least. Well, David, appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's, it's not been the best decade of Tennessee football. <laughs> uh, I've been covering Tennessee since 1985, and this has been the longest drought of uh, lack of success the program's had. Mm-hmm. Well, Jimmy, we, wanna, we, we named our all-decade team. We, we tabbed the best moments of the decade. Uh, the best games and the best player. So I wanted to run that down. I, I guess we should start with uh, the best moments, or I guess I say best moments. We're gonna say most most memorable <laughs> moments. I, I think you know we're gonna go in chronological order. On our on our list, we had the Lane Kiffin riot. Yep. Uh, what what are your <laughs> memories of that night? Well, I'll start with uh, Friday before that. I had a source that told me, he said, you don't believe this, but Lane Kiffin's in the running for the Southern Cal job because a lot of people have turned it down. Mm-hmm. I tried to track him down. He was at some kind of coaches convention, whatever, in Florida. I couldn't get him to call me back. I couldn't get Mike Hamilton, athletic director, to call me back. It finally breaks, I guess, on Monday that he's taking the job at Southern Cal. So then all oh, heck breaks loose. So I go up to UT, and they're going to have a press conference. And Lane Kiffin wanted to have this press conference because he wanted to thank the media for the coverage and so forth. And when he walks in there after a long wait, he says, look, TV cameras turn off. I just want to uh, off the record for a couple of minutes. And they refuse. They said, no, we're not turning our TV cameras off. He said, fine. So he left. He walks out. So there's no press conference. So I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> so then we go outside, and we're all trying to find where is Lane Kiffin. So I went outside, and it's cold. It's frigid. It's maybe 20, 25 degrees. And so all of a sudden I looked down, and I think it was on Johnny Major's Boulevard, somebody's burning a mattress. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. I'll go over there and warm my hands, right? <laughs> Good idea. Functional. And, yeah, and then there's another mattress burning. So uh, I waited for quite a while. I don't remember exactly when I left, but I knew that they had had a bunker for Lane Kiffin. They weren't letting him out. They were afraid of what might the reaction might be. Now, from Kiffin's perspective, if they cared that much about you staying, that was, hey, I must have done a pretty good job. That's the way go. he looked at it. Uh, but there were a lot of people that were livid at, him, uh, livid at him for selling Tennessee and then up and leaving to go to Southern Cal. 
And then it started filtering out uh, as we were trying to track down some of the players that Ed Orgeron, and he admits to this mistake, started talking to some of the midterm enrollees. They had already arrived in Knoxville, telling them, hey, if you don't go to school, you can go to Southern Cal. And those players, uh, Marlon Walls among them, uh, John James, I think, was another. They did not like that at all. So uh, they started turning on Orgeron. So it was, it was just utter chaos that night when Kiffin, uh, it was announced that Kiffin was going to Southern Cal. The term riot, do you feel like that was fair? Did you feel unsafe ever? You know, I wasn't here. I remember it pretty vividly just from a college football perspective. But, but what do you make of that actual term? Well, I, uh, I never felt unsafe, but mm-hmm. I wasn't Lane Kiffin. <laughs> Maybe Lane Kiffin felt a little bit unsafe. I think if you looked out from the football complex and saw the people that were gathered, you might have had a little bit of a concern, in particular when you see fire out the windows. I, I didn't. I would not have uh, described it as a riot, uh, an uprising, maybe. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting to be out there in that crowd. And and I also remember there was a radio station in Nashville that was on air for whatever reason that Sunday night. They called me and they said, hey, can you describe what's going on here? So I went on the air with the Nashville radio station <laughs> just to tell them, hey, this is what's going on. But it was a, it was a wild night. Um, I don't think I left till well after 10 o'clock. I, I don't remember exactly. And as I recall, I didn't see this, but I, I think that Kiffin didn't leave the building until after midnight at some point when he finally got an escort out of the complex. Mm-hmm. The next two on our list, we kind of merged them into one, but uh, Jawan Jennings is sort of two-week uh, breakout in 2016, the catch <laughs> against uh, Florida, and, of course, the, the Hail Mary catch against Georgia. What are your memories of that? What was that like around the program uh, when it sort of looked at the time like like Tennessee was getting ready to break out in a big way in the top ten after that that Georgia win, I think? Right? With, with the Florida game, what I remember is that uh, Florida's known for trash-talking, and, and Tennessee would engage if you engaged. And so there was a lot of trash-talking that week with a cornerback by the name of Tease Tabor. Uh, he was popping off about some things. So the Florida game, Tennessee trails that game 21-0. Mm-hmm. And then they rallied to win 38-28. And one of the big plays to help seal the game was the pass from Dobbs to Jennings, and Jennings beat Tabor on the play. And so the fans obviously knew what was going on. So they were thrilled not only that Jennings was scoring a touchdown, but that Tabor was the victim of that. <laughs> and I remember that being a big deal and how that played out in the media that particular game mm-hmm. when you think about the georgia game and, and sort of the, the the catch itself you know we're uh, in the aftermath of it too how would you describe where the program was at that at that moment in time uh it was uh getting back to where they wanted to be i mean that you beat florida and georgia in the same year right you're supposed to win the east so in, in theory <laughs> yeah, in, yeah, you're, yeah so so you get the win against georgia now as i recall um Georgia scored late, and it's like Tennessee has no chance. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, there's, a, I guess, a squib kick or whatever, and then Tennessee's got it in position to throw a Hail Mary. Uh, they throw it. Jennings was not even the primary receiver. As I understand, he, I think he and Josh Malone switched positions there. And then Jennings rises up to make the catch. Jennings was a very good high school basketball player, and he had some hops about him. He's also, as, as people know that have covered him, you included, he's a great competitor. So, by golly, he fought for that football. And when they scored – uh, it was it was amazing to see. So you're thinking, all right, here's Tennessee back. They're going to finally win the East Division for the first time since what 2007. So Butch Jones has got them. They're on the verge of arriving. Uh, now they blow it after that. But at that point, Tennessee uh, was was thought to be a program that had returned to 
not elite status, but it returned to being a relevant, a very relevant team in the SEC. Mm-hmm. You know, our last moment, we couldn't really single it into one moment. It was sort of just kind of Butch Jones's way with words, I guess we would say. And just it, it seemed like Tennessee. You know, I wasn't here at the time, but I was covering college football at large, mm-hmm. and. It seemed like they kept everywhere you'd walk is like he's walking in a circle of rakes, but it'd be like punchlines left and right. The trash can at Georgia, Te- at Georgia Tech, the champions of life, the five star hearts. Uh, what was the? Uh, there was some sort of belt or something, wasn't there? I, I, I maybe I, th- I think I may be getting confused, but it just seemed like it, Tennessee was constantly becoming a punchline at, yeah. at that point. What did you make of, of sort of the way that Butch Jones was handling himself at the microphone as things were kind of turning? I, I thought uh, I thought the the trash can thing was uh, a little bit unfair because a lot of other programs, including Miami and Georgia and others, had something, maybe a belt, mm-hmm. maybe a chain, maybe whatever. So a lot of others were doing it. But whatever, for whatever reason, Tennessee was catching more flack for theirs than others were. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that wasn't so fair. I thought his uh, Champions of Life comment, the timing couldn't have been worse. You can't lose a football game and then come out and talk about, hey, but we're Champions of Life. No, th- th- that's a bad time. No. <laughs> Apparently you can. Yeah. If you want to make that comment sometime in the spring when your APR is at 980 or something and yeah. say, hey, we got championships all, you know, we're proud of what our players are doing on and off the field. That's fine in the spring. Don't say that after you've lost a game. So sometimes his timing was not very good. Uh, and then the five-star hearts came after they had not had a real good recruiting class. So it's like we're not worried about five-star players. We're worried about five-star hearts. Okay, timing was not very good. And, and I think at that time some people were – there were folks starting to turn on him anyway. So they were jumping on any little thing that he would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do remember when he got hired from Cincinnati, we called a guy that was a beat writer at Cincinnati, and he said, hey, I like Butch Jones, but you're going to get really tired of his cliches. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to, to prove out. But, yeah, <laughs> his timing on some of the comments he made uh, was not very good. Well, Butch Jones fired uh, toward the end of the 2017 mm-hmm. season, a month-long coaching search. Uh, I believe still the belt holder for the most insane coaching search that I can remember in this sport. What are your memories of, of that time and, and what that was like around Tennessee? Well, it was pretty bizarre. So uh, you've got um, John Curry leading the search. And he had been hired as an athletic director not that distant, uh, not that far in the past. Mm-hmm. So now he's got this search. And he didn't really want to fire Butch Jones, but he didn't have much of a choice. So he goes out there, and, and I believe this is what I remember. His first choice was Dan Mullen. He wanted him from Mississippi State. But Dan Mullen, who had been at Florida, really wanted the Florida job. And so he was slow playing Tennessee to see what was going on at Florida. And Florida at that time, I think, was interested in Chip Kelly and Scott Frost. So they didn't get either one of those. And so Tennessee's waiting on Mullen. He goes to Florida, and right off the bat, Tennessee's plan B was Greg Schiano. Well, that blew up. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. It was on a Sunday. And when, when news spread that Shiano was going to be hired, a lot of people went nuts about that. You can't hire this guy. And the main uh, uh, reason for it was they were tying him to the Jerry Sandusky situation at Penn State. Um, I don't think he had anything to do with that. I think that was all blown out of proportion. But if you Google his name, it pops up. Mm-hmm. I have never had this happen all the years I've covered Tennessee. Two politicians called me that Sunday afternoon and said, we can't hire this guy. I'm like, really? You're calling me, <laughs> excuse me, telling me that Tennessee can't hire this guy. 
And I said, well, how do you know he did anything wrong? Oh, but if you Google it, we, and, and remember the timing, Tennessee had just been through a situation where they had a Title IX lawsuit and they had settled the lawsuit and there were a lot of negative, there's a lot of negative publicity about Tennessee in that regard. And so they, in some people's mind, now you're going to bring somebody aboard that had something to do with the Penn State scandal with Jerry Sandusky. So that blows up. And so ten, and then there were people painting the rock over there with all kinds of different things, uh, much of which was inaccurate about him. Uh, so then I don't think John Curry had a plan C. I think he knew that if he didn't hire Mullen, he was hiring Shiano, and that was it. And when he didn't get Shiano, then all hell broke loose. So then he's all over the place trying to hire people. And uh, whether it was uh, he interviewed Chip Morris, uh, he interviewed um, Dave Dorn at NC State, he talked to some others along the way. Uh, then at some point, uh, it, it was described he went rogue. Nobody could find him. He flew out to California to interview Mike Leach. And uh, they called him back to fire him. And they did. But he actually told Mike Leach on the visit when I was told that he thought he might be getting fired at Tennessee. That's why they were calling him back. And Leach is saying, well, good luck. I hope things work out. Leach basically accepted the job. He was yeah. coming. He was wanting to come to Tennessee. So anyway, they fire, they fire Curry. And then Philip Fulmer comes in. And when he came in, uh, a lot of the potential candidates were off the board. So his three, he had three defensive coordinators he was looking at. One was Kevin Steele, a former Tennessee player. Who, was a, who had been an assistant at Tennessee. You had Mel Tucker at Georgia, and then you had Jeremy Pruitt. That was it. So those were basically the three that he went after, and he hired, obviously, Jeremy Pruitt. But I have, it was a fiasco. And I was just reading the other day that Rutgers, as they were looking at hiring somebody, they were saying, gosh, is this going to be as crazy as that Tennessee search? Because the Tennessee search seems to be the, um, uh, the main one that people, the, the poster child for bad coaching searches it set the bar high it, it did, it, it did. Yeah. <laughs> i have never seen anything quite like that what, what do you uh you know besides two politicians calling anything else stand out about the the sort of uh that infamous sunday uh that there were people that gathered on campus to seems to be a protest a a a, a, a theme of the last decade in Tennessee. Yeah. so there were folks that gathered on campus to say no we're not going to do this and then there were people painting the rock with things like uh, Shiano's a child molester. No, wait a minute. There was never any accusation about that. That was ridiculous. But you had people that were, uh, and, and here's what I think was was an undercurrent to all this. This is my opinion. There was still somebody out there that Tennessee fans wanted. His name was John Gruden. Mm -hmm. John Gruden was never coming here, but Tennessee fans wanted him. So whenever they didn't get Mullen, they wanted Gruden. And when it was announced Shiano, I think there was an uproar in part because Gruden was still potentially in play the Tennessee fan base thought. So I think that contributed a lot to that. In my opinion, and, and talking to a number of sources, Tennessee never reached out to Gruden on that search. They reached out to him on other searches, but not that one. Mm -hmm. And so he was never going to come here. They were, they were not going to hire him. And I think that that led to some of the unrest with Shiano because the Tennessee fan base still wanted John Gruden. Mm -hmm. You know, we looked at the best uh, games of the last 10 years, mm -hmm. and we talked about two of them, the, the Georgia and Florida games in 2016. But Georgia in 2015 uh, was also on the list. Any other games or moments in the last 10 years for you when you think about all this program has been through over the last decade that, that, that stand out? There was a moment that, that stood out to me, and uh, it, it has a lot to do with the fan base. So, Butch Jones comes here. Tennessee under Derek Dooley hadn't been very relevant. They'd had some bad football teams. He had an awful SEC record. 
So I guess it was year two, Butch Jones gets to six and six, and he takes his team to the Tax Slayer slash Gator Bowl in Jacksonville. And it was unbelievable. I mean, Tennessee's six and six, so what? That's average, all right, based on the tradition of this program. They go down there to Jacksonville, and the turnout was incredible. David, I'm telling you, before the game, there was an impromptu vol walk where they had thousands and thousands of Tennessee fans that lined up when they brought the buses in to form a vol walk. I'm looking at this thing out from the press box window. I said, are you kidding me? And it was like they were so happy that Tennessee was in a bowl game. They must have been 40,000 Tennessee fans there for a 6-6 six and six team playing Iowa. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. But that's how starved the fan base was to have some success. Uh, look, this fan base is going to embrace any coach that's hired immediately. Now you have to earn it to keep it, all right? And so Butch Jones had him going in what they thought was the right direction. In the next couple of years, he won nine games. There was no reason to think he wasn't taking the program in the right direction. But that game, to see that many fans there for a 6-6 six and six team, that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Well, we, uh, we also named our uh, all-decade team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw a lot more of these guys. I had to do a lot of research to put this mm-hmm. together. But you saw a lot more of these guys on a, on a week-to-week basis. So I, at quarterback, is there any argument over or besides Josh Jobs? No. No, there's not an argument. Now, there's, there's another play that put up better passing numbers, Tyler Bray. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't win that much. Uh, he was a better pure passer than Josh Dobbs. But Josh Dobbs was an electric runner, too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say Dobbs and Tyler Bray. I, I think you could make an argument because of Bray's numbers, but I would take Dobbs. Mm-hmm. Running back went with Jalen Hurd, controversial guy, obviously, and Alvin Kamara, an interesting guy. That's quite a one-two punch. Anyone else you feel like you could make a case for? It and what, and it, do you have any memories of those two guys? Yeah, well, I, I, I would take those two. I think they were extraordinarily talented. And, and Jalen Hurd, by the way, was going to be Tennessee's all-time leading rusher until things went sour mm-hmm. late in his, his career, and he left the team. Alvin Kamara was a much underused player. Everybody in the media saw that. Unfortunately, the Tennessee coaching staff didn't see it. There wasn't any reason to put those two guys on the field at the same time and create havoc for opponents. Uh, but I, I, um, those, those two were, were tremendous. I remember Alvin Kamara having a – I think this was the first game after Hurd left at Texas A&M, and Alvin Kamara was just brilliant. He showed you how good he could be, and it's like, it was almost like, where's he been? Mm-hmm. How underused he was. Whether it was running from scrimmage or whether it was catching passes, they couldn't tackle him. You can't tackle him in the NFL either. But um, he was, he was, he actually in the NFL has been better than I thought. I knew he was a special talent at Tennessee that was underused. But he's been he's been terrific. I don't know that there's another running back I would put over them. As I think back to the early years of the decade, uh, hardest to gain 1,300 yards, but that was in 09. So I don't I don't I don't think there's anybody else I'd put over those mm-hmm. two. Receiver, I went Juwan Jennings and, and Justin yeah. Hunter. Yeah. What do you make of those two? Anybody else you feel like deserves deserves a shout out at that position? Uh, there was a, well, it was too brief. Uh, Cordell Patterson. He we did consider him. I um, think we we'll, we'll get to him later. I think we put him as uh, our, our, the kicker turner on the team and it's also yeah. one season right yeah. right and that, that's what i meant by mm-hmm. it was too short of a time uh he was not a great receiver he was a great returner and what they did was they basically had him running two routes either a fly pattern or a quick hitch <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you got the quick hitch you're gonna break a tackling gain yards and if on a fly pattern he's gonna outrun everybody um but he, he would be one to consider but he wasn't a great wide receiver i think selecting him as a kick returner is the more accurate uh Derek rogers <clears throat> was good on a brief at a brief time. 
I, I would put Josh Malone as consideration. Mm -hmm. His senior year, he caught over 60 passes. He caught over 10 touchdown passes, and he became a really good deep threat for Josh Dobbs. He would be one I would consider. But they, they've had some good receivers during this decade drought, but uh, but those would be others I would think mm -hmm. about. Always tougher, the big guys up front. I went, I went Michael Rivera at tight end, mm -hmm. and then the offensive line, Juwan James, Zach Fulton, Trey Smith, Dallas Thomas, and James Stone. Any other guys stand out to you over the last time at tight end or offensive line? Uh, not so much. I think those are those are probably the ones that, uh, that I, I would take. They had a really nice offensive line during Dooley's tenure where uh, four of them ended up uh, playing in the NFL. Zach Fulton starting mm -hmm. for uh, has been a starter for a number of years. There's another really good offensive lineman that didn't make it in the NFL because uh, he had some knee problems late, and that was Tiny Richardson. Mm -hmm. He was really good uh, in college, uh, but then he didn't make it in the NFL because of the knee situation. But he would be one to consider. Mm -hmm. Flipping on to the defense, defensive line, a really good position, I think, for Tennessee over the last decade. Derek Barnett. Absolute star, mm -hmm. uh, a guy that, that some people might argue as a player of the decade. Malik Jackson, I went Daryl Taylor. Uh, you could define him in a number of ways, but mm -hmm. I'll go with defensive line. And then Corey Vereen. Any guys on the defensive line you feel like we, we overlooked or, or, or if you have any memories of the guys that we did uh, we did put on there? Well, the, uh, I do have a memory of Derek Barnett. Uh, he was uh, an incredible pass rusher. And in the bowl game, in the Music City Bowl game against Nebraska, it was known that he was on the verge of breaking Reggie White's. Tennessee all-time sack record. That's revered because Reggie White's one of the greatest football players, not only at Tennessee, but in the NFL. And so Barnett, uh, I think, had about 42 quarterback pressures <laughs> going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, and he just couldn't get a sack. He finally got that sack late in the game to set the record. And his teammates just uh, came off. The, in fact, I think a lot of them came off the bench. But they, they seemed like they stopped the game to honor him. It showed the respect they had for him and what a hard worker he was. And what I remember about him uh, is when he got here, he was like fifth or sixth team defensive end. And he basically barricaded himself in a room for two days when he saw that he was that far down the depth chart. And when he came out, he decided that ain't happening. So he just made incredible progress. He was motivated by that. And next thing you know, and it wasn't the beginning of his career as a freshman. It was like the second half of the year. Then the next year he didn't start strong. Then the second half of the year he was brilliant. His senior, I mean, his last year at Tennessee he was outstanding. But mm -hmm. uh, I remembered him being really upset about being so far down the depth chart when he got here. It motivated him to have a great career. Mm -hmm. at, at linebacker we went uh, A.J. Johnson, Jalen mm -hmm. Reeves, Maben, and then Kurt Majit, who uh, if you read The Athletic uh, and you're a subscriber, we, we followed him around. He's at, back at Tennessee pursuing his MBA. I got to spend a day going to class with him. What, what do you make of that group? I like that group. Uh, the one about, of course, with A.J. Johnson had the unfortunate situation late in his career here. He was a tackling machine. Uh, the concern about him was uh, how would he do in pass coverage? He, and he wasn't great at that. But by golly, if he got near you, you were going down. And he's kind of proven that right now, even after sitting out so many years in the NFL. Uh, he, he's a very good tackler and always has been. Um, and I like the other two. Uh, the other two, more athletic, uh, would run better. I actually thought that uh, Majit would have a, a, a pretty good NFL career. I, I, I missed on that one, but he was a really good football player at Tennessee. Yeah, injuries yeah. had a lot to do with that, that one. That's so, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then Mabin, uh, whose brother, by the way, is a Major League Baseball player, uh, was, was a really good football player, too, that uh, I thought would have a, a pretty 
extended NFL career. Mm-hmm. In the secondary, a lot of NFL talent. Um, mm-hmm. Justin Coleman, uh, Rashawn Galden, who uh, another moment I feel like we overlooked in the first part, just Rashawn Galden's return against Alabama in 2017, Cam Sutton at corner, and then I went Brian Randolph at safety. Mm-hmm. Any, any secondary guys you feel like deserved inclusion in there? Uh, I can't think of one offhand that I would I would put in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, I do um, I, I do think there were some good players there. The one thing I do remember about Cam Sutton, he came here as a three star, and out of Georgia, and a lot of people were like, "Why does Butch Jones keep recruiting these three stars? What is the deal with this guy? Why are they take Why are they settling on some of these people?" And so the very first practice I watched with him, his speed, his hips, his anticipation, I'm like, how was that guy three star? He started from day one. He was a terrific cornerback, and I think he's the best of that group in my opinion. But I don't know how in the world he got, only got a three-star because from, from the get-go with Tennessee, he looked like an all-SEC player, and he proved that in his career. Mm-hmm. We had Cam as our all-purpose as well. Kicker-punter, uh, I went with Mr. Automaglia, Brent Samaglia, <laughs> current kicker, yeah. uh, and then Trevor Daniel at punter. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember about those guys? Well, Trevor Daniel was a walk-on, and um, – uh, he, he kind of bided his time uh, for one year. Then when he took over, I, I honestly, I didn't have any idea it'd be that good. He was a guy that in practice would hit a 55-yarder and a 30-yarder so you, early. So you didn't know what you were going to get. And then he became much more consistent during his career. So if Tennessee was backed up inside his 10-yard line, he could boom out a 55 or 60-yarder and help change the field position a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, that impressed me what he was able to do. He's also a big guy. And... Uh, uh, bigger than a lot of punters that you see. A lot of punters played soccer. This guy didn't look. This guy looked like he played tight end, you know, if he, in high school. But I, I remember his leg with Samaglia. Uh, he's having a great year this year. Last year, David, I, I was surprised Tennessee didn't give him more opportunities. There mm-hmm. were times they would decline attempting a 48 or 51 yard field goal. <clears throat> I thought, why not give the guy a chance? And and they they wouldn't. And he was he was fairly accurate last year. Uh, I don't know, 9 of 13, whatever it was. I just mm-hmm. didn't think he had enough chances. This year he's been outstanding. And, and he right now ranks, as you know, as the all-time leader in field goal percentage kicking at Tennessee ahead of Fawad Reves, John Bexford, and Carlos Reves, and a whole lot of outstanding kickers Tennessee's had through the years. Mm-hmm. We mentioned uh, Cordell Patterson also at kick returner. And then, of course, the, the player of the decade. I went with Josh Dobbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about his career, how do you think he – he's going to be remembered at Tennessee in, in 20 years. It's funny. Um, we had a number of shows that we do post-game, and oftentimes there were people that called in, and including the father of then a current player on Tennessee's team, that said, you can't win with Dobbs. He doesn't pass the ball well enough. And I'm thinking, yeah, you can win with him. He His first couple of years, he was not the most accurate passer. And there were times in practice when I'd watch him, we actually got to see more of practice then than we do now. He would make some really good throws, and he'd throw one in the dirt five yards ahead of a receiver or throw one behind somebody. And he was pretty erratic, I thought, with his with his passes. And then they put him in a game, and I'm like, wow. I, I always thought, people argue this, I always thought he was a better game player than he was a practice player. But they threw him in too soon. I, David, I might not remember this right, but it seemed like when he was a, a freshman, he was going to redshirt, and they thrust him in against Alabama due to injuries. We didn't have a chance against Alabama. And I thought it was unfair for some people to judge him based on some of those early games that he played. Then the next year, he got thrust in late. I think Justin Worley was a quarterback, if I remember right. Uh, and But then when he took over his junior year, 
Uh, I thought he was outstanding. Um, Tennessee can't hardly beat Missouri, right? Well, Missouri couldn't tackle him. Mm -hmm. He had like a 63 to 37 win on Missouri one year when he was all over the field. Just he was incredible. With, and, and I think he became a better passer. And I thought his senior year, uh, he also developed into a good long ball thrower, mainly to Josh Malone. But I thought he got better and better. And I remember when he graduated, I made the comment multiple times, Tennessee does not realize and the fan base doesn't realize how much they're going to miss this guy because he helped win some ball games. I thought he made an average offensive line look better than it was because he was breaking tackle after tackle. He's one of the best running quarterbacks in the country that we saw in the decade of the 2010s. And so I appreciated him. I, I, I thought they'd miss him a lot. It's one reason that after he graduated, I, I picked Tennessee to be a, a mediocre team. I don't remember if I had them six and six or seven and five, but I didn't think they'd be very good because I didn't see a quarterback capable of doing what Josh Dobbs did for Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Of course, the rocket scientist QB is, uh, <laughs> is, quite, a, is quite a label as well. Yeah. Uh, well, Jimmy, it's been uh, an interesting decade of Tennessee football. Did you? I mean, I think when you look at, at how bad the last decade has been for Tennessee, I, I think you can point directly to all of the turnover at every level of the university. I think nobody's ever really been on the same page. When you look at it, you know, you've been here a lot closer, obviously. Is there anything that you feel like, you know, beyond that has been the biggest reason why they've been stuck in this churn and stuck in, in the worst decade in, in program history? Well, I think you hit on a part of it because you've had changes at president. You've had changes at chancellor. You've had changes at athletic director. But I do think the overriding reason is that you have not hired the right football coach. I don't care who the president, chancellor, or AD is. If you have Nick Saban, you're going to win, right? So if you have Urban Meyer, you're going to win. I don't care who, who's above them. But I think the combination of that, uh, and you – Lane Kiffin wasn't the right hire, neither was Derek Dooley, neither was Butch Jones. I don't know if Jeremy Pruitt's going to be the right hire or not, but I think they just have not hit on the right guy. And I think it takes somebody special to win here. Tennessee does have a great tradition, but, you know, it's been a long time since they won the SEC. And what Tennessee had always done in the past was they, they had to recruit out of state. and They'd go to Georgia and Florida, and they'd go up to Pennsylvania and Ohio and get some really good football players. Uh, more recently – there have been enough players in the state to where half your class could be from Tennessee, and you could still have a pretty good class. But what's happened is while Tennessee has been languishing in mediocrity or worse, they're losing some of those players. It might be to Ohio State with Von Bell, or it might be to Alabama, or it might be to Florida, or it might be to Clemson. So they've lost some of their best players in their backyard. When Tennessee was rolling, they didn't lose their best players in their backyard. So I think that combination, but it's interesting as the state has gotten better, Tennessee hadn't been able to capitalize on it because Tennessee hasn't been good enough to get some of the blue-chip players. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been an interesting decade, and it's been an interesting, uh, what, 30-some minutes with, <laughs> with Jimmy looking back at it. I'm sure the next decade will be full of uh, plenty more interesting moments. Tennessee seems to be, uh, you know, one of the most uh, interesting programs consistently in college football for a long time, it was for good reasons, the last decade, uh, for more, uh, I guess we'll call them uh, dysfunctional reasons, uh, but always entertaining, and uh, you know the fan base has been a, a huge part of, of making Tennessee what it is. I, I've been impressed with the fans as I've gotten here. You mentioned it at the bowl game. People really care here, mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and that part of it is special. They really care, and it is not that way uh, everywhere, and so... You know, Tennessee is, uh, they're always going to have that, I think. And uh, we'll see what's what's uh, 
ahead for the next decade. I think Tennessee gets into the bowl game this year, and I'd be very surprised if there aren't at least thirty or 40,000 fans wherever that is, mm-hmm. whether that's Gator Bowl, Belt Bowl, Music City, Liberty, wherever it is, Tennessee is going to show out. They're so hungry. Yeah, They're so they hungry. And uh, and we'll see if they get to eat in the next decade. <laughs> well, Jimmy, thanks for joining the show. Uh, again, uh, if you guys, uh, you know, I've – you know, have not been able to check out our, our decades piece. Check it out on uh, on the athletics website and uh, enjoy this week and enjoy Thanksgiving. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thanks for uh, listening, subscribing. Thanks again to Jimmy. We'll see you guys again very, very soon. <laughs>